Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Welcome to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Marcus Paff alongside Reggie Rizzo. On today's episode, could ocean farming provide the path to a more sustainable and profitable future? And is there really any benefit to closing all your phone apps? Plus, 50 years later, a lost guitar returns to its iconic owner. All that, and on this day in history, after 32,000 years, an extinct plant returns. That's coming up, it's Cool Stuff. So I came across this next story while doing research for today's show, and I thought, this deserves more publicity. So we're going to do our small part by bringing it to you here on Cool Stuff. Sea farming or ocean farming wasn't something I'd ever heard of, much less knew anything about. But when the concept was explained in a profile from the website Positive.News, it made so much sense. Pembrokeshire, Wales is where you'll find the Carrymore Regenerative Ocean Farm. That's a three hectare site representing one of 12 such farms in the UK. It's not much to look at from the land, just several rows of buoys. But as co-founder Francois Byers puts it, quote, it's what's below that's important, end quote. And beneath the surface, that's where thick bunches of seaweed suspend from the buoys. Mussels cling to their connective ropes, and dangling nets are filled with oysters and scallops. Again, per Positive.News, ocean farming is derived from the technical term integrated multitrophic aquaculture, or IMTA for short. And if you're looking for a definition of that, here you go. IMTA is similar to polyculture, where two or more organisms are farmed together. In IMTA, multiple aquatic species from different trophic levels are farmed in an integrated fashion to improve efficiency, reduce waste, and provide ecosystem services such as bioremediation. Species at the lower trophic levels, often plants or invertebrates, use waste products such as feces and uneaten feed from the higher trophic species as nutrients. The lower trophic species can then be harvested in addition to the fish to give the farmer more revenue or even even to be fed back to the fish, that per the University of Maine's Center for Cooperative Aquaculture Research. In lay terms, it refers to a mixture of different seaweed and shellfish species growing together to mutually benefit each other. But it's not just a way of growing food with little human input. It also creates an ocean habitat in the process. Per Byers, quote, you're creating a breeding ground for marine animals, end quote. He added that the farm site has seen more diving birds, porpoises, and seals, just to name a few, since before the farm was established. Proponents believe farms like Carrymore, which, by the way, was founded in 2020 by Byers and six of his family members, could boost ocean biodiversity, produce sustainable agriculture cultural fertilizer and provide year-round employment in areas that have traditionally been dependent upon tourism. As of today, Carrymore has 14 full-time employees and 300 community members, of which nearly 100 have invested in the Community Benefits Society. They hope to double their employee count this year, thanks in part due to a DEFRA grant of 1.1 million pounds earmarked to promote and develop the Welsh seafood industry as part of the UK Seafood Fund infrastructure scheme. 
Now, some of those funds are being used to build a processing hub for the production of agricultural fertilizer from seaweed, a structure that's expected to be operational by this April. Now, as you may have gathered by now, seaweed is really the linchpin in this ocean farming ecosystem. First of all, it's it's just there in the ocean, not something that needs to be planted like you'd expect with a farm on land. It's also filled with nutrients and phosphorus from the ocean, and as recently mentioned, can be used as a natural fertilizer for land farms. Tracy Gilbert Falconer is the funding manager at Carrymore and points out that the use of seaweed as fertilizer is nothing new. Quote, farmers in Pembrokeshire talk about their granddad going down to the sea and throwing it on their farms, end quote. For that matter, seaweed can also be broken down and used to manufacture clothing and even construction material in some cases. And now with the war in Ukraine causing the price of chemical fertilizer to soar and the sector trying to reduce its environmental impact, farmers and the government are increasingly looking back to seaweed. The aforementioned new hub at Carrymore will have the capacity to produce 65,000 liters of sustainable fertilizer annually with the potential to cover 13,000 acres of farmland. Now, speaking to Conservation Without Borders, Byers said, quote, seaweed specifically, because it grows so fast, can absorb phosphorus and nitrates, which are two chemicals that find their way into our oceans via agricultural runoff. It also absorbs carbon dioxide in vast quantities. An acre of kelp would be able to sequester 20 times as much as an acre of forest on the land, end quote. But to feed the processing hub, generate profit, and reduce their dependence on grants, the co-op also needs to increase the farm size from 3 to 13 hectares. In order to do so, they'll need to obtain the proper licenses, which apparently isn't the easiest task right now. Buyers told Positive.News that UK regulators have adopted a cautious approach to ocean farming, making it a little more difficult for businesses like his to obtain said licenses. He aims to change the legislation, however, and make it easier for others to start ocean farms in the future. If Byers is granted the license for expansion, he says the farm should break even in approximately 18 months. Now, in case you're wondering, farms like Carrymore also produce fishing exclusion zones. Ross Brown, an environmental research fellow at the University of Exeter, believes a thriving ocean farming industry could also provide solutions to the UK's fish stock, which is in a, quote, deeply troubling state, end quote, according to a report from Oceana. It found that half of all key populations are overfished there. Per Brown, ocean farms create stepping stones where we have safe havens for fish and other organisms. By the way, ocean farming is not unique to the UK. It's also being looked at extensively in the US and Canada, among others, seen as a way to make aquaculture more sustainable and profitable on land or at sea. Uh, We'll throw a link to the information page on the University of Maine's website, uh, which provides more interesting facts about IMTA and what it could mean for the future, while noting they've been exploring the possibility of this farming technique since 2009. Of course, this in addition to the link to the positive.news site here. So, Reggie, I'm always intrigued when I when I hear unique and creative ideas like this as a way to solve multiple problems, not only the sustainability issue, but when you're talking about underwater farming or ocean farming here, you don't have to go out and plant the seeds. The stuff is there. You're really just inviting these elements to grow in the same area and then protecting them uh, from fishing and other potential predators to ensure that, hey, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a new additional way of curating food and other things for the community at large. And this is all great and excellent news, but I'm a little disappointed you can't grow corn or beans or wheat underwater. I, I was really hoping that's where this is going, but overall, this is pretty cool and I'm, I'm happy for it. <laughs> 
I was like, how are you going to find a way to make this a depressing story? <laughs> oh, I can't grow corn underwater. <laughs> oh, yeah. what a useless no. no, this is great. This but is you know great. what you can do is produce fertilizer, natural fertilizer from the kelp or the seaweed, and then use that to grow your corn on the land. And uh, so there is a mutual benefit to the land farms in doing this as well. Yeah. And, you know, and that process, you know, getting those those other the other food sources available for you as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to this and it's great to see something that I know I'm guilty of closing all of my background apps on my phone regularly throughout the day. Mm -hmm. However, new data suggests that this is completely unnecessary and that it is a myth that it'll speed up your phone and make your battery last longer. Craig Federighi, Apple's senior vice president of software engineering, said that the iPhone's RAM is managed by iOS and it does it as efficiently as possible. So when you aren't actively using an app, it is basically frozen and closing it would have negligible impact on your battery life and performance. It is also said that it's the same case for Android phones as well. According to the Washington Post, if you're worried about apps collecting your data, Closing them isn't going to stop that. So apps will still track you whether they are open or you force close the app. So that's not going to help in any way. So why do so many people believe running apps in the background will hurt your battery life or your phone's performance? It is believed that the rumor started on July 5th, 2007. Yes, we are tracking it to the day here. On Apple's community forum, one user posted this question. When you click the home button after you've been using Safari, is it still running in the background and draining the battery? End quote. Followed by another user saying, quote, I am pretty sure everything is running in the background. So comments and people's beliefs spiraled from there. It doesn't help that if you're on a computer, if you have too many tabs or programs running, it can slow your computer down. However, Apple and Android phones use a different operating system which prevents that from happening. In fact, Apple says you should only force close apps if they are actually frozen. Now, I have two thoughts here. First, if a phone's operating system prevents too many apps or windows from slowing it down, why don't we use that system for computers? That, that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you think we could develop that because I have a ton of tabs open and I want my computer's high performance. So can we fix that problem? Second, I don't trust it. I still plan on closing all my apps still. <laughs> so do I. So do I. And look, I was never a part of that forum back in 2007. But intuitively, I, I think that's probably what this results from is most people will go, all right, having a lot of things open at once historically has always meant slower performance on any computer that I've utilized. So it, that same concept must apply when you're talking about your phone's operating system. And clearly... The experts are all saying it doesn't. It doesn't work that way, which to your original question, well, why doesn't it work that way in computers then? I don't know. I guess we need to ask a developer or uh, one that might be listening. Please hit us up, coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. Let us know the answer. But yeah, I, I, I think I'll continue to do it out of habit as well, Reggie, because if no, for no other reason, it makes me feel a little bit more organized when I'm trying to look for something on my phone. That is the next point for me that I don't want all these apps open. I like how organized it is when I close it down or if I only keep one open because I know I'm going to go back to it. I don't want a thousand apps open on my phone. I, it stresses me out. I, I want them closed. And inevitably, my GPS app, if I don't close that out, is going to start talking to me while I'm driving again, yeah. and giving me unnecessary prompts and information. Railroad crossing ahead. All right. Well, I guess that's good to know, but I don't know that it was necessarily life or death here. Yeah. Uh, so I do it not for an optimization of the phone, but for optimization of Reggie. 
is what I close all the apps for. <laughs> Fair enough. And then you know what? If the battery drains at that point, we have nothing else to blame it on except, uh, I don't know, use or a shoddy battery. Never lose hope. That's perhaps the moral of this story. Paul McCartney, yes, that Paul McCartney, has been reunited with a renowned bass guitar stolen from him in 1972. The instrument was returned following a journalist-led initiative which sought to locate the missing piece by encouraging anyone with potentially relevant information to share it anonymously. The piece itself would seemingly be hard to mistake, mainly because it's shaped like a violin, a characteristic synonymous with the German brand Hoffner, which Sir Paul helped popularize at the time. The bass was stolen from the back of the Beatles' touring van in Ladbrook Grove, an area in the royal borough of Kensington and Chelsea. The lost bass project commenced with no real evidence or leads, but emphasized that anyone coming forward would not be blamed or have charges brought against them. And that philosophy worked. A few individuals came forward, revealing that the bass had been sold to the proprietor of a pub in Ladbrook before eventually finding its way to a family in Sussex, where it was ultimately located in an attic. The group behind the effort to locate Paul's instrument issued a statement confirming McCartney had authenticated the piece and was incredibly grateful to those who helped him find it. Quote, we didn't expect it to go very far, but it caught the imagination of thousands of people. Within a week, it was in newspapers all over the world. We were asked to do numerous interviews and appear on several television news broadcasts. As a result of the publicity, someone living in a terraced house in Hastings on the south coast of England contacted Paul McCartney's company and then returned the base to them. The search was over. Paul had his stolen base back at last, end quote. The base was reportedly complete and still in its case, but will need some repairs before it can be played again. The music icon used the Hoffner to record a variety of songs, including Love Me Do and She Loves You. It was originally purchased in Germany for 30 pounds in 1961. And for anyone not up on such matters, the Hoffner brand is still going strong today, manufacturing not only guitars and basses, but also string instruments like violins and violas. The company was originally founded by Karl Hoffner back in 1887. Just a feel-good piece, Reggie. Uh, always nice to see somebody, a legend like Paul McCartney, uh, find his way back to uh, something that played such a vital role, seemingly, in, in his career. I was actually unaware of this uh, bass guitar. I, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't look like a bass guitar. It's It definitely looks like a violin. I don't even know. I guess I'm, you know, I'm familiar with the song. I just, I guess I never realized how it was played. So this is kind of interesting. And I want to know if you stole it, why wasn't it taken care of better? Well, they said that it's not in bad shape. It's just going to need a few minor repairs. You have to wonder how many times has it changed hands since 1972 when it was taken. I, I I don't know why it would have ended up in an attic. That's a that's a great question. So uh, at this point, are you just hiding it because you know if somebody finds it and is able to trace it back to Paul McCartney, you're in trouble? I have no idea. That's that's a little bizarre. Taking a look at this day in history on February 20th, 2012, so we're not going back too far. Russian scientists were able to successfully regenerate the flowering plant Celine Stenophylla from 31,800-year-old piece of fruit. That feat far surpassed the previous record of regenerating a plant from a seed that was 2,000 years old. 
They found the fruit of sea lion stenophylla in an excavation site of ancient ground squirrel hibernation burrows. They were able to date it back to around 32,000 years to the Pleistocene epoch. Oh, of Epo- course, the Pleistocene uh, epoch. That was one of my favorite times in history. Yes, Richie. naturally. Yes. <laughs> it was a good time. The music was great. <laughs> the weather, not so much. <laughs> At first, they attempted to generate a plant from mature seeds that came from the fruit pod, but they didn't have any success. They decided to try placental tissue from the immature seeds. They were able to grow 36 plants using cloning technology. At first, the plants looked similar to the current silene stenophylla that grew in the area, but once they started to bloom, they noticed a difference. The 32,000-year-old plants had more space between the petals. Even more fascinating, the ancient plants were able to generate new plants 100% of the times from their seeds, which surpasses the modern version of the plant. So maybe I didn't pay attention uh, to what was happening in 2012 as much, but I was unaware that they basically revived this plant from 32,000 years ago at that time. Yeah, I don't recall ever hearing anything about this. What I am wondering is if this plant is successful at reproducing 100% of the time, why did it ever go extinct? Uh, it was cold. Ice Age, maybe? I don't, okay. I'm I'm, I'm just speculating. That's fair. Uh, yeah, they, that's a fair explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I believe they found it in like a more of a mountainous area. So, you know, once you get that cold in there, they, I'm sure it just died off due to weather or uh, something extreme along those ways. We love to talk about movies come to life on this show. It's either Terminator or Jurassic Park is what I found our theme is. Uh, <laughs> every story seems to be an indicator that those movies are becoming more and more realistic. And this seems like the latter. We just have to clone it and it'll come back and be stronger than ever. <laughs> Until AI takes over and destroys it all. I'm staying far away from that island theme park whenever it opens. That's all I know. I 100% agree. Uh, at least I'm going to give it some time. I'll let a few disasters happen and then I'll make it to judgment. <laughs> so after the Tyrannosaurus escapes and eats everyone, that's when you'll decide, you know what? I think they figured it out now. They've uh, bigger cage has been built. Yeah, let's let's take a trip. Oh, Oh, wait, you're developing a new kind of dinosaur? No, no. <laughs> and why has it got to be on an island? I mean, I guess I understand the practical reasons in the movie, but. It's more safe. And anyways, anyways, that'll do it for another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Connect with us by email using coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. Also, like us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm Reggie Rizzo. He's Marcus Path. We'll be back with more cool stuff tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.